What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. Now, like, let's just get to it. The whole secular sacred divide. There is no distinction in, in the scriptures. Some of us have trust issues with God. And right, some right. of us, yeah, it's like, does God really got us? engage the culture with the gospel that first has not engaged you no. like you know how people are like oh that's just who i am no, no. <laughs> drop the mic drop drop the mic drop the mic shaping the code well uh the theme of this tour is standing firm in your faith and uh you are an apolit oh you didn't tell the joke apologetics they won't get it now but you love doing apologetics you love defending the faith you love engaging people with the faith and uh, you deal with people who uh, are struggling to accept Jesus and with people that have never heard of Jesus altogether and so right off the the cuff I want to start off this conversation by asking you uh, what has it looked like for you to continue to know who Jesus is and stand firm in your faith Man, that's a good question. Uh, for me, uh, it is my, my, my relationship with the Lord has been an a, a ongoing journey. Um, you know, there's been times, uh, we talked about deconstruction, there's been times, I don't think I've fully deconstructed my faith, but there's been times I had to reevaluate what I believe. And so people always ask me, uh, like, how can I be an evangelist in the way that I am? How can I be an apologist in the way that I am. It's not merely me studying these things, but it's also, it's just, I'm, these are questions that I had myself. You know, these are things that I went through myself. Um, and so I rationalize like a lot of things in my own mind and my own faith. And so uh, I think those are the best apologists, the people who can interrogate their own faith. Uh, the Bible says, you know, I search your own heart to see if you, you are in Christ Jesus. And so uh, my life has been that for the last, what, 15 years just consistently going to the Lord being honest with the Lord and I think that's what that's what helped my relationship with the Lord the most is my honesty you know when I when I didn't believe him I told him God I don't believe you help me and the beautiful thing about God is that when we need when we need more faith in God we go to God for help you know and he has he's helping that's good I love that one thing that you do well um, is you don't just engage the mind you also engage the heart and I think sometimes as we wrestle with the faith, as we wrestle to make sense of God, uh, I think in the church we make it primarily about theology and intellectualism and philosophy and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, like we engage philosophy, we engage theology with a specific heart. Um, I love Jesus because in, his, in the word you learn that when he is engaging people, the word says he would see their heart, what was in their heart, and then he would have compassion on them, and then he would speak. And so I, I just wanted to ask you, what does it look like to not just interrogate our mind, but interrogate our heart as we make sense of our faith? Yeah, before I interrogate anybody's heart, I have to first interrogate mine. Like, you know, because uh, speaking of apologetics, the word apologetics is derived from the Greek word apologia, which means make a defense, right? Um, and so First Peter 3.15, um, that's where we get the word, the, mainly where we get the word apologetics from. And so a lot of times when people look at that scripture, they think about, oh, we have to defend our faith against other religions. But the scripture in, in its fullness, it says, in your hearts, 
honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And then it goes on to say, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so we see this word defense in 1 Peter 3.15, but, but which, which means apologia, apologetics, make a defense. But that whole passage is con- like, like, like surrounded by character. It first starts off with us honoring the Lord <laughs> as holy. And then it tells us that our conduct matters. And so, you know, when I speak to other people, I tell people when I, when I do the evangelism videos, uh, one of the main comments that I get was, Preston, you have so much patience. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do this. And it's like, really, I don't have patience. I, 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 I'm not a patient person naturally. What I've learned when dealing with the outside world is if I don't humble myself before the Lord, before I leave the house, Satan is going to use somebody to expose that. Right? That people don't make you do anything. They just bring what's in you out. Right? And so I had to learn that if I'm called to the outside world to give the gospel to the outside world, that God needs a submitted heart for me. One, a heart that honors him first and then honors his people. Because the whole gospel is hinged on that. To honor the Christ as Lord is holy and to honor your neighbor as yourself. And so if you don't do that, um, it's, it's impossible to be an evangelist, an apologist, and a disciple. That's good. So I don't know about everybody in this room. but That just preached. Y'all real yeah, quiet in yeah, here. Real, yeah, yeah. I don't know how y'all get down in Toronto. <laughs> uh, the last three years have been extremely difficult. Uh, maybe I'm projecting or maybe there's one or two people in here that can resonate with me. Um, I know personally I've gone through a lot. I know in culture we've gone through a lot. And um, a lot of things were exposed. And... I think that what scared me the last three years more than what took place is how that all those different activities exposed my heart. I think of a sponge, right? Um, A sponge, when you soak it into something and then you squeeze it, what it's been sitting in is what comes out of it. And so if you have a sponge in orange soda, I don't know, I thought about Kel from Kenyan and Kel, orange soda, and then you squeeze it, water doesn't come out of it, orange soda comes out of it, right? Teach, teacher. If you put it in water and squeeze it, Orange soda doesn't come out, water comes out of it. And these last three years when life squeezed me, I started seeing things come out of me that were ungodly. I started seeing things come out of me that were not of God. And that became very scary. And I think one of the most difficult things that we have to do as Christians is face ourselves. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we'll never be honest with God. And so I want to ask you, what does it look like to embrace who we are in Christ while all at the same time embrace where we are in our process and let the Lord do what he does best. That's really good. Hey, Matt, real quick, throw me my water, bro. A little parched. Um, <laughs> um, that's a really good question. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm discipling this young dude named Javan, and he's 22 years old. He just got married in December. And and one of the things that um, that he said was, now that I'm in your home a lot, you look way more human than online. And, um, and I said, that's a good thing. I was like, because what I've learned in my Christian walk is that God is not looking for his disciples to be perfect, but he's looking for his disciples to, to display that they trust in the perfect God, right? And so for me, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm patient with my process, right, in my sanctification process because I know I serve a God who's also patient with me. You know, people sit, you know, uh, for example, 
uh, people always ask me, Preston, how do I evangelize? How do I become an apologist? Yeah. But my first apologetic argument was me being destroyed by a Jehovah's Witness in college who embarrassed the crap out of me. Yeah. And um, I started to... I started to study apologetics, right, and study the Jehovah's Witness faith and all of this stuff like that, basically to win an argument with him. That whole thing was built on pride. I was not trying to win nobody's heart. I'm going to just be all the way real with you. I'm like, you embarrassed? Because I was the evangelist in my school. And so when I first got saved, God took me off the block. I was around telling everybody about the gospel. People had, you know, gospel questions. They would come and see me, you know what I'm saying? It made me feel good about myself. And then this Jehovah's Witness walked in with these little tight khakis. And he's little in this little polo shirt, and he had a Bible in his hand, and we start talking, and I'm like, I'm thinking I'm talking to another Christian, and then he tells me the church has been teaching me the wrong thing. I'm like, you don't even know what church I go to, sir. Yeah. You know, and so even like I say that to I say this, God used that yeah. to grow me, yeah. right? And he knew I was a little prideful, arrogant little, little thing, yeah. but he was he was patient with my process. He knew that he was gonna he was gonna reveal to me. When the dude who led me to Christ was like, yo, Preston, uh, are you still trying to win this dude's heart? Because you're coming back every week about how you destroyed him in an argument. And I was like, I was never trying to win his heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I just wrote my first book. Um, yeah, give it up. I wrote my first book. I was really hard. I want y'all to clap for me because it was really, really hard. But the, but the, book, <laughs> but the book is called, you know, um, How to Tell the Truth, the story of how God saved me to win hearts, not just arguments. And like literally, that was that was my that, that's how I became an apologist. And so I say that to say this: God is going to use everything. Like I, I, I think I'm thankful that I serve a God who doesn't let anything go to waste. That He uses our mistakes, He uses our failures, He uses our triumphs, He uses our successes, He uses it all for His glory. And so that I'm, I'm just a testimony of that. And so when I was younger, I, I stayed falling in self condemnation. I stay condemning myself. Now that I'm a little older in Christ, I see that, you know, it's no need for me to beat myself up because God doesn't let anything go to, go to waste. And so I just have to just trust him and, you know, he'll lead. That's beautiful. That was really good. Um. Okay. Okay. Y'all y'all clapping now. <laughs> I like this now. It took some time to warm up a little bit. Right, 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 right. Uh, you know, I, I've uh, my pastor used to always say that, um, you know, we know how to give mercy to ourselves, but then we want justice for others. Uh, I think we could be a little bit more patient with our process, but impatient with other people's process. Yeah, that's good. And uh, I think about, you know, you know, when I think about standing firm, when I think about what it looks like to remain in the faith, one of the ways we must do that is by being in community. Uh, back home, our church is going through the book of First John, and right out the gate in First John chapter 1, John invites people to fellowship, to fellowship. And one of the things he says is, you know, as we fellowship with the Father, we want you to come and fellowship with us. Yeah. And what I love about that is he, he doesn't build a community off of commonalities. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't say, I love hip-hop. If you love hip-hop, come and do community with me. Yeah. He doesn't say, I love Thai food. <laughs> uh, if you love Thai food, come and do community with me. He says, our fellowship is with the Father. And because our fellowship is in the Father, with the Father, we want you to come because commonalities you outgrow, but you only grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. And so what does it look like to rub shoulders with individuals in the church and do community with people, knowing that it's difficult but necessary for our spiritual formation? 
when I first got to Atlanta, it was really difficult. I mean, I mean, you know my, my church family back in home in Chicago where I'm rooted at, where I was rooted at. And when I got to Atlanta, I, was, I had a very, very lonely season um, where um, most Christian circles knew me, and so they didn't know how to treat me like a, a, a just a regular brother in Christ. And so that was, that was weird for me. I, 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 I'm really, I'm not raised in a church. I really just came from one church, which is Brian Dodd Church. And so coming into a new church environment, I don't think people understood how different it was for me, you know. Um, but, yeah, for me, I think it's vital. Um, for me, it's not as hard anymore, um, you know, because I have a... a I have a, a, a solid group of brothers and sisters who just love me well, you know. Uh, when I'm back at home, I try not to go to events, try not to go to Christian concerts. <laughs> I just I just try to be surrounded around the people who, who love me and who, who will love on me. I think for people like myself who travel and, 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 and minister, I think it's important because I think the danger of being, in, I think, in a public eye, is having people on the weekends at shows confirm your godliness and not your local community. Um, I think it's it's important for all of us um, to be rooted in a local community, um, a local church body where people can see, like practically see your growth, who can see your failures, who can see your impatience and say, bro, are you okay? You know, who can see like, are you, you know, my, my past is like, are you, are you still dating your wife? You know, are y'all having sex? I'm like, yeah, we having sex. I mean, I want to have sex more. You can talk to Jackie. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think we need that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because it's, it's, it's important. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that when God created us in his image, he literally, like he said, it wasn't good for man to be alone, right? Because the father has never been alone. The son has never been alone. The triune God of scripture is a community, right? And so we, we don't mirror God when we don't live in community. You know, we don't look like God when we don't when we when we don't when we don't dwell in community. And so I think uh, I think it's important to be in community because you know it, it images God. You know, you talked about your unique struggle of traveling and how that's brought its you know unique challenges in going to church. Um, for people like us who listen to people like you, our unique challenges. Well, I listened to Thirty Minutes with the Perrys. I don't need to go to church. I got my fix this week, right? Or, hey, I, I listen to this Christian podcast. I got everything that I need. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and God. I don't need anybody else. I'm getting the content that I need. I'm growing in my understanding of who God is. Um, why do I need to get plugged into a community? Can you speak to why it's important to value the church and why church is far greater than just receiving content? That's a good question. Shit, you probably should answer this too. Um, I, th I think for me, um, I think God, I've, I've seen God use both, right? Because um, I told, I told um, Jackie, <laughs> my wife, uh, last week I was in Urban Outfitters, and this girl walked up to me, and she was cursing like a sailor. You can tell she was not church at all. She was like, I be listening to y'all podcasts, and y'all is funny as I'm like, you don't go to nobody church cussing like that. <laughs> Um, and so what I've seen for, for stuff like my content yeah, yeah, yeah. is um, uh, a lot of unchurched people who, who just like either our humor, God using Jackie's humor or our candidness or just our um, honesty yeah. to, to attract people who are not in the church. And I'm grateful for that, yeah, yeah. you know, 
But uh, I think that it's dangerous for people to look at online content as a substitution for what God has built, which is his church, right? Because I think when we start to look for God to replace, um, not God, for, for us to replace like podcasts and like our favorite preachers online, I think we become detached from, from this local structure that God created, right, for us to dwell within, right? Uh, I think God was super intentional when he gave us the church, right? He was super intentional uh, when he gave us elders and mainly to, go, like, to guard over our souls, to hold us accountable, right? And so, like, I think that we can still, I think social media is dangerous because we can have social media, we can have so much Christian content, but we can still kind of be on an island. And I think Satan, <laughs> Satan works hard on people, you know, who are on islands. And so I think people are in different seasons. I have a friend right now who, who um, has a lot of church hurt. And I feel like God in this season is not leading him to go to a particular church. And I think sometimes podcasts can be a good substitution. But I do think that if somebody's not in the church, they should be at least praying about what church that God wants them to be in. Um, yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, I think about one of the things that the church provides is discipleship. And I know discipleship is what helps us grow in our faith and helps us stand firm in our faith. And um, there's a story that you tell that I love, the, the, the first guy that you discipled, and, uh, or that discipled you. Yeah. And how, yeah, you, you tell us, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where he's, uh, a situation with the girl. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 because I, the reason why I want to get into that is because I think that in displaying weakness, in displaying uh, our fragility uh, and, and going to Christ with that, we see hope for the church and that weakness shouldn't deter us from the church, but our weakness and our brokenness, brokenness is a platform for God to do what he does best. So can you share that? Story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a guy named Gary Brown, he's the one who led me to, to Christ. Um, uh, when I was 18, um, I was living in a very violent neighborhood and uh, one of my closest friends was shot and killed and um, died when my mom was trying to revive him. And so my aunt, who was a minister, she she was like, I want you out of this neighborhood. Can you come live with me? And um, she introduced me to this guy named Gary. I hated when she first told me, you know, this guy named Gary to live around the block. I want you to meet him because he went to Moody College. And I was like, oh, he's like a Billy Graham wannabe trying to, like, preach at me all day. Um, but he was like a, 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 a redeemed hood dude, like, you know, ex-gang member. And, like, he just took me on his wing, started, like, teaching me how to read the Bible, taught me, you know, how to exegete the scriptures and all of that. Everything he was learning in the Moody, he taught me. And um, I just began to, like, really look up to him. You know, he was 22. I was 18. And I started to, like, mimic his life. You know, I started to, like, do all the things that he was doing. I stopped smoking weed. I, I threw all my Tupac CDs away. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, you're real saying when you, you know, break your CDs. You know what I'm saying? Y'all did, did that? I broke all my CDs. I broke all my Eminem and Tupac and Nas CDs because I thought I was holy. But um, I, I, I was trying to convince myself that I was a Christian, but I, 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 I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't have a matching heart. I, my heart wasn't like Gary's. And so... Uh, one day we was finna go hoop, uh, play basketball. That means play basketball for everybody who grew up in the suburbs. Uh, <laughs> we was finna go play basketball uh, in a neighborhood called Washington Park. And we went in this um, this bank. Uh, we went in the, like the drive-thru in the bank. And this beautiful girl began to flirt with Gary. 
And so I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm looking at Gary, like, well, you know, you finna get her number, you know what I'm saying? I'm, like, looking, I'm being nosy. And she, like, flirting with him hard, because Gary was, like, one of those, like, he, he was black, but he looked like, like he was mixed with, like, Puerto Rican. He had real curly hair and stuff. Like, girls really liked him and stuff like that. And uh, Gary was flirting with her at first, and I was like, this is the first time I'm seeing Gary talk to a girl. Like, okay, Mr. Holy Guy, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, like, he kind of, like, clammed up and, like, she gave him back his ID and the money, and he kind of just said, have a nice day, and drove away. And it, I thought it was super weird. And when he started to drive, um, he was like, like, he was real quiet. I'm like, what's wrong with this dude? So he pulled over to the side of the road, and he was like, Preston, I want to apologize to you. And I was like, apologize for what? He was like, bro, that girl was flirting with me back then, man. I wasn't a good example to you, bro. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She was flirting with you. You didn't do nothing back. He was like, nah, bro. All while she was talking to me, my thoughts was lustful, bro. Like, and, and this time I entertained it while you was in a car. Can you pray with me? And you got to know, I didn't grow up in church. So I'm like, this is this guy's strange, right? This guy's really strange. Like, why are you convicted about that? Like, okay, you lusted. Okay, wow. You know what I'm saying? I, I, was, I was weirded out. And when he began to pray, though, I, I was like, I've never heard anybody pray like that. And this story is really simple, but it was, like, like instrumental in my life. And as he was beginning to pray, I felt like the Lord was saying, Preston, this is what it means to love me, and you don't love me like he loves me. And so I went home, and I felt the weight of my sin that night. Like I felt like all the things that I've ever done, like, it's like God was bringing everything that I've ever done to my remembrance, every time I broke into a car, every time I broke into people's house, all the women I slept with, all the times I disrespected my mom, all the drugs I sold, all like everything. It was like it was so heavy. I felt like I, I, I felt this heaviness, and I began to cry out to the Lord, and, the, and my prayer was, I didn't even know the sinner's prayer. I didn't know nothing. I didn't know no Bible verses. All I said was, God, I want to love you like Gary loves you. Forgive me. And I felt this weight come off of me. And I believe that's the Lord saved me in my room. Beautiful. Can we give a round of applause for that? You know, the, the reason why I love that story is because it was through another man's brokenness that you were drawn to the Lord's love. Yeah. And I think that we need a redemptive view of brokenness in the church. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, if, if we were, if we could be perfect, God would never send, send his son Jesus to yeah. die in our... Can know? I say this? I think yeah. that's what keeps people away from discipleship relationships. What, what, what that taught me on, you know, and I'm kind of glad I didn't get saved in the church. I'm really glad. I've been seeing a lot of my church friends who grew up in church really struggle. And no shade if you grew up in church. I mean, we all have a story, right? Amen. Right? <laughs> but, but I'm just really glad I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, me and my wife, we didn't, like, really grow up in church like that. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad that God, in his sovereignty, chose that. But I, I'm glad that he, that, he, that he revealed to me that I was a sinner in that way. Because even in my discipleship relationships, I use that motto. Like, I, I, when, when, when I disciple somebody, I bring them into my life. I mean, um, the dude, one of the dudes that I'm discipling, they saw me get, you know, mad at my wife, and I shouldn't got mad at her. And then they had to see me go back and apologize to my wife, right? And, it, it, and, it, and it's that in, in, imperfection that leads people to the Lord, right? It's not our perfection, right? And I think we, 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 we're afraid we stray away from discipleship relationships because we have this idea that we have to be perfect. And it's like, no, like God uses broken people to show his perfection. 
And so, like, I think that if people understood it, I think that we would see a lot of more discipleship relationships in the church. That's beautiful. That's good. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons why we also struggle to remain um, in the faith or stand firm in the faith um, is because of suffering, right? Um, I know I, I shared earlier that the last three years have been different, uh, difficult on many levels. And maybe there's somebody in this room that's had a hard past, maybe is in a difficult season. Somebody once said, uh, all of us are either entering into a hard time, in the middle of a hard time, or exiting a hard time. That's just kind of the way life works. And when you see life get hard, it's hard to believe that God is good, right? It's hard to believe that God cares about me when everything around me is falling apart, um, I know I've struggled with that when everything was falling apart to believe, man, how can I trust that God is really with me and he's for me when everything around me seems like he isn't? And so how would you engage or how would you give advice to someone who is in the middle of a pit, who's in the middle of a hard time and is questioning if God is for them and if God is good like he says he is? That's a really good question. Um, and I'm always sensitive to questions like this, to be honest with you, because yeah. I think the first um, idea is to go to all the scriptures, you know, right? Yeah, that's right. To, to, to go to, to the, you know, um, God is good all the time, all the time. God is like, uh, no, and all the, and it, which is true. But I think when we, when we are in a situation, yeah. it is very hard for us to lean on church quotes to, to, to get us out of that situation. I think. For me, when I've been in pits and when I've had friends who've struggled with deep bouts of, this, of, of depression, um, I, I, I tell them to look at the person of Jesus. You have to meditate on Christ. The beautiful thing about what, what drove me to Christianity and not Buddhism or Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Muslims is because they, didn't have, they don't have a God who condescended, yeah. right? Yeah. Hebrews 4.14 says, yeah. seeing now that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the son of man who has passed through the heavens. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who was tempted in every respect just as we are, yet without sin. It says, therefore, therefore come to the throne of grace with boldness that we might find grace and help in our time of need. And the beautiful thing that I love about that is that we, we don't serve a God who just sat up on his throne and watched us suffer our whole life. But we serve a God who condescended and became a man. Why is that important? It's important because it shows us that we serve a God and he knows what it feels like to be human. Yeah, yeah. We, we serve a God who knows what it feels like to suffer. Yeah. We serve a God who knows what it feels like to call out to his father and say, God, why have you forsaken me? And the father turns his back on him. Yeah. We serve a God who was spit on. We serve a God who was beat. God, we, we serve a God who entered into human creation and dwelled amongst his own creation, not to just be amongst us, but to join us in our suffering. And so... Like, I think when we suffer, the thing that the enemy, the devil tries to tell us that is that we're alone. But it's like, no, we literally serve a God who is with us, not just in our, our triumphs, not just in our, you know, when, in, in our high moments. But, no, he's with us even in our suffering. And so the thing about suffering is that suffering is a humanity problem. Nobody will, will, will escape suffering. The thing is, everybody won't suffer with Jesus. That's the, that, if I'm, if I'm going to suffer, I want to suffer with the one who came and died for me. And so I, I remember when um, the man who raised me, um, my uncle was murdered 
my uncle Stan was murdered when I was 13. Um, pillar of my family, like radio, he was a uh, radio personality in the city of Chicago, the man, I mean, I would like, we all looked up to my uncle, like you'd be in the living room, he'd walk in with Shaq, like he was the man, right? And uh, when I was 13, somebody killed him, and uh, I looked up to all my uncles, but especially him. And I remember the strength of my grandmother, who was the only Christian in my family at the time. And I remember we all kind of descended over my grandmother's house to um, just be with one another, to like mourn his death. And I remember like thinking I'm gonna go there and gain strength for my uncles, but they were all weak little boys. They were all sad, they were all broken. And I remember one day my grandmother, she, she told us to not bother her for one day. She said, it was like the third day we was over her house. She said, I'm gonna go in my room and I, I wanna just pray, I'm gonna get before the Lord. And she stayed in that room all day. And the next morning, I can't describe it. I remember, I was 13 years old, but I remember this like it was yesterday. She came out the room and she just looked different. She had a song in her heart. She had a praise, right, in her, in her, in her, in her belly. And she began to walk around and she began to pray for all of us. And she began to anoint our heads with oil. And she just had this strength that I just, I was like, where's this strength coming from? Fast forward, I'm 19 years old, 20, I think 19, 20 years old, I'm a Christian now. My grandmother's living with us because she's kind of descending in age. And I went in her room and I was like, Grandma, when my, my Uncle Stan died, um, like you had this strength after you came out the room that day. Like, do you remember that? And she was like, yeah, I, re I remember that, Gus. And then she was like, I prayed a prayer and I, I went in the room and she said around 6 o'clock, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, um, either give me the strength to be strong for my family or take me today take me to glory and she said at that moment I entered into God's rest and I've been there ever since and I, I thought that was so powerful and then she began to tell me she was like Preston you've been saved like a year and a half now and she said what you have to understand is that Christians are not supposed to suffer like the world she said I was suffering just like your mom but I wasn't suffering in the same way that she was suffering I wasn't suffering like someone who had no hope like and so that's the difference that's the difference. God never promised us that we wouldn't suffer. He just promised us that he'd be with us. And he promised that he would give us strength in the midst of our suffering. And so I think when we suffer, I think we have to realize that we serve a God who's with us in the midst of our suffering. It's beautiful. That's good. That's good. You know, we want to open up the floor for everybody to ask their own question. Uh, but I got one more for okay. you, if that's okay. Um, I think about Job's friends who just gave the worst advice in the world. Man, you bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? You must've, you must've did something, man. Yeah. They was hating on him. Even Job's wife, yeah, Job's wife told him to curse God, God and die. die. Yeah. They was all tripping. <laughs> they were all tripping. And one thing that I think we failed to talk about in the church is friendship. I think we have all these conferences on marriages. We have all these conferences on relationships. Um, but nobody ever talks about friendship. And to me, I believe that friendship is one of the best gifts of life. Like, I, I'm here today because I've got great friends, you know, and I think people sleep on good friendship. And so can you talk about the necessity of a friend in a hard time and how godly friendships really help us endure a difficult season? And honestly, how friendships could reflect the love of God and the kindness of God in our time of doubt. Absolutely, man. My friends are so important to me. A lot of times my friends are, not a lot of times, I think a lot of my friends are closer to, closer to me than my family. You know, I think friendship is such a, when you can meet 
just even just apart from the Christian faith, when you can meet a person um, in life that has similar situations that didn't grow up like with you, you know, and you can connect on a personal level. Um, but I think in Christ, it just makes it that much sweeter. You know, um, for me, um, one thing that I've learned about my friends is my friendships have allowed me to have better relationships holistically in my life. My friendships has helped me to be better, a better father. My friendships has helped me to be a better husband, right? Because a lot of times, sometimes we get married and we think that, you know, I want my wife to be my only friend. That is the worst idea that you can ever have. Your wife is your community, but she can't be your only community. You need people, right? And so I have a great group of friends. I told people a couple of years ago, I stopped being friends with men that don't celebrate their wives. If you don't never talk about your wife, I can't be your friend, bro. Like, you sneaky. It's something about a man. I'm serious. It's something about a man who honors his wife. It says something about his character. And so I started to gravitate towards men who love God, who love community, and who, and who celebrated their wives publicly, because, you know, that, that, that gravitated towards me, and what, 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 I, what I found is they've helped me be, to be a better husband. Like, my friend Ezekiel, y'all know probably Ezekiel, is, like, he helps me to be a better father. Like, he always brags about how good of a father I am. No, Ezekiel is a way better father than I am. Like, he's the first man I've seen, like, cry with his daughter. He's the first man I've seen apologize to his son. You know, and so I, those friendships has really made me more holy, made me more like God, and it's pushed me closer. So I think that's what friendships supposed to do. They're supposed to be there for you. They're supposed to support you, but they're supposed to push you. I think every relationship in your life is supposed to push you closer to Jesus. And so that's what, that's what, my, that's what my closest friendships do. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank yeah. you.